0: Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, of course, and with me, as usual, is Jason. How's it going, buddy?
1: Good. Back in the same room for another podcast. How is that?
0: That is amazing. Yeah, we're actually face-to-face again. That's fantastic. Um, before we get started, we got a ton of stuff to cover today, but I wanted to remind everybody that we still have two spots left before we draw for the flag and the coffee mug on our Patreon page. So if you want a chance to win this prize pack, you need to sign up and sign up as soon as you can. Uh, I want to thank all of our latest pledges. I want to thank Carl, Joe, and Nathan for signing up. Um, and I want to also thank all of our past pledges who are continuing to show their support. You guys are awesome. Um, Making it all possible. Absolutely. Helping us get this show to the next level. Um, but we got so much to talk about. There's so much in the news. But obviously, I think we need to kick off with the uh, the infamous video of David Chartrand talking about today's or this week's framework agreement from the government of canada
1: definitely the highlight of the
0: week so i'm gonna play this video and we shall see we'll kind of break it down after we play it so listen president
1: chartran thanks for joining us as we've been hearing there's a a lot of concerns being raised about the planned indigenous rights framework what is it about the framework that is good for the metis
2: well, for well, we've been waiting over 140 something years for this day to come where uh, governments will come into a real, realization that Métis Indigenous Indigenous uh, institutions like ours are governments, and it's very clear they got to treat us in a fashion as governments. Uh, right now, there's still this mindset that uh, we're organizations or bands or just administration or in institutions. I think we're heading a new uh, a new pathway uh, where there's going to be a clear understanding that we are governments. Equal and no lesser than provinces, and that we got to be treated in that form or fashion. Uh, it's it's something that you know. I I as I said in many of my speeches, uh, I travel all over the world and I stop at many churches in the world, and I've always prayed for a leader one day to come that will recognize a time where the Métis Nation will be treated with equality and a definitely constitutional per, uh, respect, and uh, the day has finally come where we have a prime minister that's spending a lot of political capital on indigenous issues. And I think it's it's something we can't ignore. We can't let this go by us.
1: The uh, federal government's hoping to uh, pass this legislation before the next election. What's at risk for the Métis if the framework doesn't move ahead
2: before the federal election comes? Well, it's not only at risk to the Métis. I think it's risk on all Indigenous peoples. And, and if you look at the in leadership, uh, uh, key about leadership is trying to uh, advance your your, your people in, in the fashions when opportunities come by. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to be a great leader and a leader that's going to be truly making a difference, uh, heart of compromise is always going to be important. To, to understand inside of you, there's no perfect document. Uh, you, know, you got legal scholars coming out now today, criticizing documents. You got professors at universities, kind of, you know, criticizing that there is no perfect document. Let's be let's be straight with ourselves here. We have a chance to make uh, a massive change. Uh, the Métis Nation sees it strongly. Uh, we see that this Prime Minister is sincere. Uh, ask yourselves, anybody, anybody that's listening, throughout in, as leaders, ask yourself, when did you ever see a Prime Minister come this far out and spend so much? capital on Indigenous people in this country. We may never see them again. Uh, we may never have that chance again. So we, we look at it from here. Uh, you expect Sheer or Singh to come out and give you these uh, opportunities? I do not see it. Uh, clearly, and there's a Prime Minister that's keeping his word to Indigenous peoples and that they're going to be a priority for him and he's going to make change and that's going to lasting change. going to be for quite a long time. So we're not going to have the perfect document. There's no way that'll, that'll, that'll find itself that quickly now. But we have a chance to make change. The Métis Nation is not going to miss this chance, and the First Nations in Inuit don't want to advance right now at this point in time. We're willing to move forward uh, with the government, and, and when they're ready to come in, then they'll come in. But right now, the Métis Nation It's gearing itself up, and we're looking forward to legislation that will make it very clear once and for all, we're not a special interest group, we're not an organization, we're not just an advocacy institution, we're a government that represents our people, protects its rights, and we have a special place in the constitution and confederation in this country, and we're going to protect that with everything we have politically, and we will support this Prime Minister where he's going, because I've never seen one, and I've been President for 22 years, I've never seen a leader before or during my time that's ever spent some. so much much cap- political capital, and in trying to ensure that Indigenous people find a rightful place in Confederation. President Shurtran, we're going to
0: have to leave it there. would appreciate you. Alright, wasn't that fantastic? I mean, our, our government is so amazing. Justin Trudeau is just so amazing. So honest. All that political so trust-worthy capital. Trust oh, what Justin says. Like, it just warms the cockles of my heart.
1: Yeah, I don't know about the cockles, <laughs> but your wallet must feel
0: warm, I guess. <laughs> uh, and... So, what are your initial thoughts? That's the first time you heard that. So, far. yeah,
1: the whole thing through. I mean, it, honestly, again, it's pretty much a giant face palm experience for me. It, you know, yeah. you're kind of pinching the bridge of your nose at, at a lot of the things. The you know, the very first thing that that strikes me again is the political rhetoric. Um, and I guess the biggest thing, that one phrase that I really think some is the summation of the uh, the cartel's position, is the giveaway that under the cartel, the Métis people are not a sovereign people equal with the crown of Canada. The Métis people are a sovereign people equal with the provinces within the framework of Canada. Yes. That statement should be very revealing. So if you're a Métis person you believe that, that like our First Nations brethren, that we are an independent, sovereign people equal with the crown, which would be the federal government, the MNC doesn't represent your position. Yeah. They represent the fact that they believe that they are equal jurisdictional power with the provinces
0: well and that that struck me too when I first heard it and some of the the notes I made about that is if you say you're equal to the province how does that work because you have no land so does Canada now have uh, 13 province and territories and then six Métis, uh imaginary territories that don't exist really because um, you have to keep in mind that the settlements are in the government's view separate uh, put and put away from the the cartel the Métis national council and its affiliates so how does I'd, I'd be very curious what their logic is on that and how that works where you have no land so do you pay provincial taxes anymore do you with your Métis card do you get to use provincial services but not pay for them do you get to drive on provincial roads uh, i don't understand yeah where i your think that's is. a
1: lot of the rhetoric that we covered in the 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 other podcast about what these words really mean about governmental recognition of them, no longer just as an organization, but as a government, yeah. but a government of uh, stateless people, really, uh, in every province and even in Alberta, that the Alberta government, like you said, Darcy, doesn't recognize the m here in Alberta as having jurisdiction over the settlements. That's a different organization under a different act. So what is what is the MNC and its affiliates really talking about? If they're actually gonna get be recognized as how would they be recognized as a government legally? And as a citizen, if you're a card carrying member inside of the cartel and you now have a new government, a new provincial government that you are part of, does that mean you don't pay provincial sales tax in the province of Manitoba anymore? You pay that the you know is the and f going to come out with their own provincial sales tax yes. for Métis people uh but <laughs> yeah. how about all the other forms of taxation that you pay as a person in the province of Manitoba absolutely uh, and so it's a it's a very interesting position that they're taking. they're a very interesting face that they're putting on this, but the reality still is is the, where the rubber meets the road is
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you're a citizen of the Métis cartel. And that's what you want to call yourself. You're a member of that organization, and you're going to believe that this is a government. How is that actually going to governmentally impact your life when it comes to
0: real regulations? Yeah,
1: and well, we don't and we don't see that. And that's no. not what—that's not really what the meat and potatoes of the framework's about, anyway.
0: No, absolutely. And and you know, my fear is is that you know if you're Métis and you're a member of these, I'm oh, sorry, you're a citizen of these sovereign provinces now. I guess they would be because they're not nations. They've they've subjugated. Subjected themselves to equal status as a province, so I guess are they a territory? Are they a province? I, well, and this is the do double. So that? this
1: is the speak that goes on. So he says in <laughs> his interview that the MMF is not equal to a band. Mm-hmm. They're they're not they're not the same as that. So they're not the same as a reserve representation. They're not the same as a yeah. local chief and council. They're an actual nation with their own government, and yet at the same time they say, but only mm-hmm. with equal power. Uh, jurisdictional power to the province. Yes. But a First Nation community says that it has equal representation to the crown. Yes. Which is supersedes the province. Exactly. So how can you say that, no, no, we are a real government because we, rep- we, you know, we have real power as, and we are recognized as a real government, but only have mm-hmm. that jurisdictional power up until provincial level. Exactly. So it's, it's real good double talk.
0: Well, and think about the impacts on this of, okay, let's talk harvesting rights. Well, if you have equal power as the province, can the province just say, sorry, we're our province. You guys deal with, you can't hunt in our province. That's our jurisdiction. You guys are now equal to us, so go do your own hunting somewhere else. It's things like that where I don't, I don't honestly think these guys think about what they're saying and what they're doing. Because where do you draw that line? Where are you have problems with the definition between federal and provincial? Now we're going to have these blurred lines of federal, provincial, and Métis provincial, ter- whatever that is. is. Like,
1: yeah, and that's the real challenge. Is when you say that we're going to be recognized no longer as an organization, uh, but an actual government, and you're going to throw mm-hmm. words like citizen and constitution in that jumble. What does that mean for its members? Like, it's, it's yeah. the people. Who, does that mean you're now this? You know, do you believe belong in a new province, the province of the Manitoba Métis Federation? But the reality still boils down to how that's not possible because there's not a state. There's no land. Yes. There's not a territorial boundary. So things like the easy things, they want to cherry pick the low fruit here, is harvesting rights. Yeah. Well, the, the Manitoba Métis Federation, who have jurisdictional power equal to a province, what they claim is going to happen under this framework, are going to exercise that right over no, not one acre of land. Exactly. And so that, how does that affect taxes? How does that affect where your money goes? How does that affect you as a citizen? Even if you had a constitution, over what area yeah. does it, is binding? Exactly. And it really becomes a framework, even if it was all these hopes and dreams were true, yeah. and the government did that and said, we recognize the Manitoba Métis Federation as an equal power of jurisdiction, legislative power as the Manitoba government, but it would be over what area?
0: Exactly.
1: Well, none. Yeah. So the person, if you're a Métis person living in Manitoba, when you get up in the morning, you still live in the province of Manitoba.
0: Absolutely. You don't live
1: in the province of the Métis Manitoba Federation. Yeah. So I guess your taxes and your hunting rights and all the exactly. actual jurisdictional problems you face are going to be the same.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I guess I didn't really state my fear. My fear was, well, who do they pay taxes to? Is this now they got an additional tax as a Métis citizen now? The pleasure of being Métis, I get taxed to the new government. I still have to pay my provincial taxes because that's the province I live in mm-hmm. and I still got to pay federal. So now I've got three levels of tax, Oh, plus municipal tax. So now I've got four levels of tax where everybody else in Canada has three. Yep. That sounds like a phenomenal deal. And that would be my fear is if you're equal to a province, that means you have taxation powers. Mm-hmm. You have, where's your court system? Where's your courts? Who's, can the province just, can you override the province on certain legislation then? Because you're equal to them. Well, so and, and this, is does, the,
1: this is the point is a province is a jurisdictional power formed under the federal government that governs over a specific geographical area. That yeah. is by definition how we have provincial boundaries. Yes. And if we look at the course of Canada, those boundaries have changed over time. We had jurisdictional uh, territories that no longer exist in Canada because they were amalgamated. Yeah. And so what is the Manitoba Métis Federation? What would be its jurisdictional power yeah. over its citizens in their everyday life if they were truly going to be recognized as
0: a government? Exactly. And, you know, we covered this extensively in a, in a couple episodes mm-hmm. ago talking about, okay, so now you're a new government. Congratulations. Where's your land? Well, let's say they give, they say to the Manitoba, okay, we're going to cut out this chunk of Manitoba for you. Does that mean you get, if you don't live there, you don't get to be a citizen? What about your citizens on the East Coast that are Red River Metis? Have, do they, are they paying taxes now to, the Manitoba got Métis Federation. Where, but, where, like, what, are the, what it, does this all mean? They don't right. have and, any answers. Well,
1: and I think this is the where the, this is where the whole smoke show really falls apart. Is that, let's say, all their hopes and dreams really did come true, and mm-hmm. there was a significant, you know, million acres that was carved out for the Métis people, and you you realize in what geographical location that's probably going to happen in Manitoba.
0: Yeah. Um, the place where nobody lives.
1: Well, it has to be somewhere <laughs> where the population density is low, where yes. the Manitoba Absolutely. province has already done a significant amount of resource exploration and is confident that the province itself, the, you know, the health and well-being of the Manitoba province, isn't going to be jeopardized by the loss of that land. Exactly. And so then it befalls down to the Métis people. Yeah. And this is really where the rubber hits the road is mm-hmm. all your hopes and dreams are finally realized. There's a million acres. The only deal is you have to move. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. So your home, your job, your kids, your school, yeah. everything like that is now on the line. Are you gonna be staying Canadian or are you cashing in all your chips to move to this new frontier governed exactly. by this jurisdictional framework?
0: Exactly. And I exactly. think that's
1: that's where people, Metis people, really gonna to have to look themselves in the mirror and ask what are what are we fighting for?
0: Well and if they become provincial, what's the purpose of the Métis National Council at that point? Because their purpose was to be federal. Do you, if you've, if you're a province, you've already got a seat at that federal level. Mm. So, what do you need the MNC for? Have they made that redundantly useless now? Well, because why would you, the, if I'm is at the same level as Premier Notley? Why do I need a third person in that frame? Well, and let's say that
1: happens among all the Western provinces. So you're looking at the same thing in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. We're already seeing the same thing taking shape in the Northwest Territories. You're going to have a first minister's meeting of provincial Métis equals. What the heck is the the National Council for? If Métis people by definition are national, they're now provincial.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: I
1: mean, there's. I no, guess it's good because it frees up another, you know, a few million dollars in budgetary. Well, expenses. Certain, yeah, it would certainly <laughs> free up some money
0: for these new provinces. But uh, yeah, no, it's just a very that was that thing struck me from what he said. I just, I, I actually had to pause the video and think about that for a minute. And like, oh yeah, my you God. really
1: have to digest that. Yeah, that that is such a a, a whole. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about politics? You want to talk about showmanship? Yeah. There it is. You want to talk about a leader trying to sell his organization a you know, a CEO trying to sell his yeah, yeah. shareholders uh, a good platform. That's the number one reason you'd yeah. invest is because this is a sales pitch. The other totally. thing that struck me out of that was the whole conversation about how the Trudeau government has now the be all and end all. <laughs> this is our one shot yes. only hope. Yes. This will never come again maybe till Jesus nah. returns. <laughs> opportunity for the Métis people to cash cash in like this is your all-in poker hand <laughs> call it as you see it you yeah. know
0: yeah if he just grew a beard and wore sandals I think that would probably make this even just a little bit better
1: yeah I'd, I really like yeah. this is the second he has it really so is the
0: second coming of Trudeau isn't it like right oh, wow. and and he spends so much political capital mm-hmm. I mean come oh, on how many times did you say that you oh yeah like at least twice I think maybe even three times what I've Oh, there goes the air conditioner. What I really think is interesting about that, though, too, is when you think about what he's saying is, he's saying, we may never, ever see this again. So, you're you're fear-based leading. Mm. What leader of a corporation, province, uh, a country, a a Girl Scout group, uh, a charity, what leader leads from a position of fear... And, 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 like, almost, um... Like, well, there,
1: there is only one kind of leader that does that. Yeah. And it's not a political leader. You know what kind of leader leads like that? It is a corporate leader. Yes. It's it's one of the old, coldest, oldest corporate tactics that we know of, right? And that is scarcity tactics. How do you create demand? How do you create people to buy into what's going to happen next? It is through the promotion of scarcity inavailability, right? Something being scarce. You know, the language that this will never come again, this will never happen again. You know, I love the reference to the in my 22 years as your leader. Yeah. This has never happened, this never been this good. Yes. Um creates that fear-based like you said that fear-based drive that yeah. if we don't act now, if we don't cash in our golden Willy Wonka ticket right now. Yeah. You know that the two other leaders who are running against Trudeau and have the possibility to get next term, this will all be gone.
0: Totally. And, you know, thanks for talking so long while I tried to get that air conditioner off. Uh, the thing, too, is, I mean, this speaks huge volumes to how they've operated for years with the threat of funding and no funding and funding and no funding. Because in, in that sense, I totally understand his fear. But if you want to run a province now how can you run it based on fear? And, um, yeah, like, I just think it's a desperate ploy to fear people into saying, yeah, thinking, yeah, this is, this is good. We need to do this. Well, so, I think,
1: and I think that's the other thing is, is it's creating that feeling that money. Mm-hmm. And, and so all the money that's coming from the federal government and the recognition of his leadership yeah, is, validation for everything they're fighting for, and you're never going to be more validated than right now. Yeah. So we need to sign the paperwork. We need to go chips all in at the poker table here. Absolutely. As fast as we can because we've never had as much as we've had right now. Yeah. And it creates the myth to say that if you did this, that every other subsequent leader and government administration would be bound by this level of funding hmm Because let's face facts: no province has ever had their funding cut. Oh, never, no, right? No government, yeah. no level, no municipality, no level mm-hmm. of government has ever seen funds dry up at the federal level. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Somehow the Métis people would skirt, you know, all the budgetary cuts, you know, because if you know, if you, let's face facts: if the blue guys get in, everybody is going to be eating a budget cut. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But somehow Métis people would maintain yeah. this level of awesome <laughs> If we sign right yeah. now.
0: Yeah, they'll keep their $500 million over 10 years, right? Yeah.
1: And the other, and, you know, in our First Nations relations and, you know, the poor Inuit up north, they'll have to come around later, you know, because after they get their budget cuts, because they've all yeah. had bidding, big increases. Right. After they see, woo, look how bad they missed out. While well, you're all suffering under budget cuts, we yeah. Métis are going to have all our money still. You'll come around.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and that was the, that was my my kind of my last take on that whole thing was that statement, the well, you know, if First Nations and Inuit don't like it, that's fine. We'll move forward and they can come later. Well, first of all, I mean, this is a running theme with him, but that shows absolutely no respect to your your First Nation and your indigenous families um, whatsoever, in my opinion. Um, but it's just this whole idea of it's us versus them, and we're fighting against, the, the three groups are fighting each other for every little crumb from the government and so he's gonna take the three crumbs now, cause this is the best it's gonna ever get. Not realizing if you just climb a little higher, you could actually be sitting at the table and eat a full plateful. And it's it's that it's fear based, but it's also it's it's Métis versus First Nations and Inuit. We're competing.
1: And I think that's the real problem is is, is this is where the real short short sightedness comes in. Is Métis? He's right though in a lot of ways. Métis people have never had it so good, but right. we've never had it so good is because the people who would have helped us have it better are the people that the Métis have been fighting against uh, with through these organizations. Yes. Métis people would have a large, lot larger voice at the table if we were about promoting unity and the protection of land and resources and co-sharing and co-occupying like our ancestors did within these territorial boundaries of our First Nations relations. If that was our long-standing uh, point of view, we would have a bigger... Pl- seat at the table, we would have a larger voice, we would have a yep. bigger share, but because the Métis National Council and the, the cartel has a, adopted this divisive Métis alone, we will make our own path, we are independent, yes. we have our own rights claims, and all this other jazz, they've suffered, mm-hmm. and the Métis people really have been forgotten, they have been isolated as the, the biggest minority, and so this is a self-fulfilling prophecy that their own politics has come home to roost. Mm-hmm. and so yeah they probably never had it so good but they've only had it so crap because they made enemies with everybody who should have been our friends
0: well and even that notion that this is, this is the best they've ever had it is it really because i even though the government didn't follow through with this wasn't when they got millions of acres of land and and through script and the promise that the descendants of red river will get millions of acres of land wasn't that the better than what they're getting now? Because they actually had land promised. So you go back to that and think, well, that was a pretty good deal on paper, but obviously the government didn't follow through. Well, so is this a really good deal on paper? And the government's really not going to follow through? Because it's an agreement. Is it legally binding? Is it... I mean, how many loopholes is the government going to throw in there so that they can get out of this stuff? And I think it's probably a lot.
1: Well, and I think that fundamentally speaks, though, To to the heart of being an Indigenous person, living in the framework of Canada. how I mean, right from the most recent with the creation of of, uh, Nunavut, right down to the oldest treaty we have in Canada, we can't depend on the settler nation to live up to a single solitary promise that they make. Absolutely. If they make their paperwork is only as good as the match it takes to burn it. (laughs) That's what it means. And so there is a very different viewpoint that indigenous people have to take when going into these things it's is totally. the fact that if there's a way for the government to back out to negate to budget cut to diminish any indigenous sovereignty and land claim rights they're going to yes and so it's with fear and trepidation that any indigenous organization should be creating a framework with the federal government yeah knowing that that that's inevitably how this breaks down and then to see you know someone you know applauding themselves that this is the greatest gravy train the metis people have ever seen in boy <laughs> and if, the greatest they'll ever get and the best you ever get so if you don't got your knife sharpened and your yeah. fork ready to go to sit down at the greatest banquet table of of all time you know you're somehow a fool
0: yeah well maybe you just shouldn't be a citizen yeah well <laughs> and I, I i have a big long post i want to read because i think it's um, uh, uh, amazingly worded but the last thing I want to say about that is, like, uh, if if there's three Indigenous groups, and if two of them say, this is terrible, we're totally not in, on board, shouldn't that be a red flag, don't you think, to say, eh, I wonder what they're reading that I'm not? And maybe, you know, to me, a real leader would take that opportunity to at least consider, why do you guys think that? Maybe sit down with them before you throw your support behind us. But, I mean, it's so very clear how liberal this guy is. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if he donates to Trudeau's campaigns and things like that. Yeah,
1: that was what was startling to me on that front is when you're talking Inuit and uh, First Nations and Mm -hmm. um, Mm Métis objectives with the government. Yeah, It's the Inuit and and the First Nations, they've got the land. Mm-hmm. They've got the most program funding. They've got, they have the most of everything, and we have the least. And if they're saying, "Well, I'm not so concerned. Sure, this is a good deal." Yeah. Why would we want to jump past them to say, "Oh, yeah, but for us, it'll work out."
0: Right. And then doesn't that say a lot if 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 it is a deal where the Métis are going to make out really well, but it means that the other two have to lose in order for the Métis to gain? You know, you're back to that bakery scenario again. And how is that right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel good about that as a Métis leader? Going well, yeah, but we win. I don't care if they lose; we win, and that's all that matters. And yeah. That's not a good way to approach this, I don't think. In my opinion, I mean, I'm all, I may be wrong, maybe wrong. So I wanted to read this. Um, it's a kind of a long post, but I want to read it all. Um, and I'll I'll say the name of the guy who who posted this, but it was posted on Facebook, and he said uh, Indigenous people in Canada must reject the reconciliation and recognition of Indigenous rights agenda being aggressively imposed upon us. The history of Canada's Indigenous peoples is a shameful chronicle of white man's descent or disinterest, his hatred, his deliberate trampling of Indigenous rights, and repeated betrayal of our trust. Since the 1800s, all generations of Indigenous people have grown up under apartheid, a buckskin curtain of colonial government dishonesty, indifference, ignorance, and all too often plain bigotry. Now, at a time when our fellow Canadians consider the renewed promise of the just society rhetoric rhetorical chance of reconciliation and false promise of a nation-to-nation relationship, once more, the, once more the Indigenous of Canada are betrayed by a program which offers nothing better than genocide. The Indigenous peoples of this land must reflect on the past and realize today that the ongoing rabid colonial fetish of cloaked assimilation embedded in deceitful and critical underfunded colonial programs and services, including the misleading reconciliation and recognition of Indigenous rights process, all lead to the same targeted destination called genocide. This renewed, updated version of the 69 White Paper must be rejected in its entirety, and Indigenous peoples must unite and focus on protecting, enhancing, and invoking our ancestral Indigenous rights, treaty rights, and land rights and titles so our future generations can survive and thrive off our ancestral homeland for as long as the sun shines, the grass grows, and the waters flow. This means creating and invoking our own systems in accordance with the needs and wants of our Indigenous nations in balance and harmony with our Creator, given laws which ensure that we and our sacred Mother Earth maintain a healthy, conducive relationship for millennia to come. Indian, Indian Act chief and councils, their colonial co-opted and controlled political lobby groups must be rejected and eliminated and replaced with true indigenous governance systems based on our historic participatory democratic systems in which everyone had a valid voice and purpose within our societies. Only then can we live and thrive as we did prior to colonial molestation. Do, doing anything less than this is being complicit in our own demise. And that was quote uh, written by Gerald McIver. So that's a whole lot to digest. It's a long quote. But I think it's a stark contrast to what our faithful uh, David Chartrand has said.
1: <laughs> well, and I think what he, what he really gets to is, is the real heart of the matter is if we were talking really about reconciliation. If we were talking about a restoration of relationship, the no framework that the government put forward to indigenous people, the very first thing that would be addressed is land. Mm-hmm. And instead, we are only talking about programs and services. We're only talking about funding. We're only talking about recognition of organizational structures or constitutions or citizenship, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And there's the fundamental right to our own land that's not there. So I'm fine. You want to make the Métis people your own province? Fine. But then where's the land? Yes. Where, where's our territory that I could move to, to, you know, make this brave new world for Métis people? Where mm-hmm. is it? And the mm-hmm. reality is in every document, it doesn't matter which one they signed, there isn't. And that really goes yeah. to prove the point. This is about assimilation to make the Métis people fall within the framework of the constitution is just a self-governing minority group. And we have no yeah. land base. We'll remain stateless.
0: Exactly. Well, and what changes, like what really changes for the Métis Nation being recognized as a uh, equal to the province? So what? Like you said, you're still not going to have land. You're still going to have to ask for everything. You're still going to have to fight for things because it's not like the provinces just get the easy street. They're constantly fighting and arguing with the federal government. So now you're just still doing the same thing as you were doing now, only they pat you on the back and call you a province. Like, again, it goes back to that, the rhetoric of, of words mm-hmm. and the courts recognizing that you can call yourself a nation. That doesn't really make you one. Yeah. No. Okay, well, so now we're the Métis nation, which is actually a province. So we're not really a nation. We're the Métis province now. But what does that mean? Okay, so we'll get some land. But what? like, it, you're still fighting for everything you have to get. Yeah. You can't exercise your rights without permission. You can't exercise um, your treaty. We have no, we're not treaty people, Metis people. I mean, we all are treaty people that have in the territories that are treaty. But mm-hmm. if Metis people aren't on the Treaty 7, whose treaty rights am I exercising as a Metis person? Yeah. So, uh, but then an interesting discussion is does then that, if they get recognized as a province, does, does that open them up? to constitutional lawsuits just like the provincial and federal government.
1: Well, but I think that's the point of assimilation. Once you mm. recognize the Métis people as having their own government and however that shakes out, then all the laws that govern that govern every province govern the Métis people. Absolutely. You, you fall within the federal framework yes. for people's governing Canada, And so the Crown maintains its supremacy... And yeah. Métis people fall under this, the sovereignty of the crown.
0: Yes. and
1: So th- what we're squabbling over now is the same thing that, that we've always been squabbling over is provincial jurisdictional rights.
0: Absolutely. Well, and, and I think what they don't, uh, and maybe they don't realize it, maybe they don't think this way, maybe they're just greedy, which I suspect. But it opens you up, so we're going to do a review of our Métis citizenship. When, sorry, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. I have the right. To like that goes against my charter rights now. And if you're a province, which means you're a government, Mm -hmm. you're now subject to the privacy laws. You're now subject to the constitutional challenges of all your laws. So these bylaws or constitutions that they create have to match and meet the legal requirement of a charter challenge, just like Alberta's constitution does. Mm -hmm. So they're really opening themselves up to a, a huge problem because the first person they try to kick out goes to court it's going to federal court now and you're going to lose because you can't just arbitrarily kick people out of your province yeah. i mean when was the province of alberta said oh you're not albertan you have to go now they, they can't
1: yeah and so but that's so, it begs the question that we asked before then is what kind of government are we talking about because within the even within the framework of canada there's no jurisdictional power that only recognizes a g- specific genetic group of people yes so that's illegal that, yeah, we have laws that are set up that, that's, that's called discrimination.
0: discrimination.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we have human rights tribunals to make sure that that doesn't happen.
0: So let's but, say they get the land, can a non-Métis move there? And and if they can't, that's discrimination.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's the whole point, And I think that's where so much of this rhetoric uh, really starts to unravel is when you break mm-hmm. these down into human scenarios that we're going to try to live out our daily lives within this framework that they talk about. It's all yeah. pie in the sky, words, because when you really break it down to how you're going to get up in the morning and do your shit, it doesn't work.
0: Exactly. Well, and what I've noticed lately, too, is there's uh, there's another article come out with Joseph Boyden. That's that guy's name. So there was an article that came out with him on the cover, and I didn't even read the article, but a lot of people were going around, and I think it was dispelling the myth of the Eastern Métis. But there again, that kind of ties into this, because if you want to talk about, oh, these Eastern Métis are trying to usurp First Nations rights and First Nations uh territories and, and things like that and First Nations sovereignty. What is the Manitoba Metis Federation just done? They've tried to usurp all of those First Nations who in the province of Manitoba, whose traditional territory that was, the MMF is now saying, Oh no, we're more important than you because we're a province now. So you guys are banned. We're a province. And that's why we signed on. So does that give them authority over first nations of those traditional territories i think in their mind it would mm. so who's use, who's more of a threat to first nation sovereignty right now yeah
1: well we've seen the, the mnc has categorically stated across just about every jurisdiction in the west that it has yeah. rights to the land um and so Absolutely. the re- reality is I'll, we've even seen that within the creation of the settlements here in alberta there wasn't a negotiation with the Cree nations there about who those land, the amount of land, where that yep. land was going to be—that was strictly a negotiation between the the Métis powers that be and the provincial government. Yes, and that has what has been this long-standing fight in the West is the the fight over land. Yeah, when the Manitoba Métis Federation won its Supreme Court case challenge, uh, uh, showing that the federal government was negligent in the issuing a script, land was promised. No, that's what the court said is that you know the honor of the crown was not met and they're going to have to someday pony up. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you that's the real problem that's going on here is that in the West, the Manitoba Métis Federation is looking for huge acreages yes. uh, within the provincial boundary of Man- what is now Manitoba with no consideration to traditional First Nations territory. Absolutely. So this is another mythical conversation that goes only to the narrative of what these, you know, self-proclaimed governments with Métis citizens talk about. And, you know, to, to fearmonger,
0: uh, honestly, mm-hmm. what's
1: going on in the East. Somehow Eastern Métis people are a threat to who? Exactly. Because again, zero
0: funding. And again, get- again,
1: it's real double talk because, yeah, on one hand, the federal government recognizes the Métis government in the in the West. Yep. And that's, that's valid. And yet the federal government also recognizes that Métis people exist in the East, for section purposes of section 91. Yes. And that's invalid. Yes. So, so, so the government that recognizes you, good. Government that recognizes them, bad. hmm But this is the same people we're proclaiming as we've never had it so good. Exactly. Except for over there because that's really bad.
0: Yes. And, you know, they're trying to usurp, you know, First Nation hunting rights over there or co-op them but that's what you're doing in every province that you're in because you're not negotiating with First Nations on that. Well, they're trying to, they're a threat to First Nation sovereignty. Well, so are you because you're trying to exert control now over traditional territory that is should be First Nations territory, traditional territory. Yeah. So its it's always, it's good, but. So they're doing it, But it's okay for us to do it. They're doing it, but it's okay for us to do it. Yeah, but
1: the whole Joseph Boyden thing boils down to real rhetoric because the MNC and its affiliates really in in real time provides the most imminent threat to First Nations traditions. Absolutely. there's. In the East, we can argue it, we can can bat it back and forth, we can talk about self-indigenizing people, which there probably are, but the reality is, as it stands right now, there's not one group in the East that poses a threat, a real threat, in court or in government negotiations at any level for actual land. Absolutely. Not not in Nova Scotia, not in Quebec, not in New Brunswick, not in Ontario, not in Quebec. There's any single organization it pose a real legal threat to getting land yeah. f- that belongs to First Nations. Absolutely. That can't be said of any organization in the West. Exactly. So who is threatening First Nations relations? Who's threatening First Nations territorial yeah. claims and traditions? It is not a single person in the East.
0: No, I don't hear any, any organization in the East saying, we'll sign that agreement too. We'll totally support it. Who cares about First Nations and Inuit? They can come on later. We don't care about them, but we're going to jump on board with that. There's nobody in the east that's doing that.
1: No, but there's no threat to to First Nations identity, nope. to traditional territories. There's there's not one eastern organization that is like imminently threatening the domain of the First Nations community that they yes. they coincide with. Yeah, that can't be said of any of the West.
0: Absolutely, I mean. Um, You see, like, I think there is problems in the East with some Métis groups and maybe some self-indigenizing, like you were saying. It's not that there isn't problems. However, people trying to fraud out a card to get a gas discount is not the same as somebody saying, we're now at the same level of a province. That means we have, you know... Leader, we have uh, rights to this land that we didn't have before. We have authority we didn't have, and we don't even care what you have to say, First Nations, about anything.
1: Yeah, there's no, there's no like, recorded Eastern Métis leader who is, has had a face-to-face conversation with the chief that said, "You don't own the land." Exactly. There's only exactly. one leader that did that, and that's the same person we've been talking about for us the evening. Exactly. Because they don't believe First Nations people own their land. They believe the the MNC strictly holds to the belief that the under treaty rights, yep. the First Nations surrendered that land, and now the Crown owns it to delegate to who they see fit. yeah So who's the bigger
0: threat? Well, and who's given into colonialism? I mean, this guy is so given into colonialism. I don't even know if he could find his own head.
1: Right. So like, the the whole bringing you know the Joseph Boyden and identity politics dragging the East into mm-hmm. this is again rhetoric. It makes it political a smoke
0: show. It's and it's fear based. It's mm-hmm. to make people fear these Eastern mm-hmm. usurpers of territory and land and when yeah. while they do it. Yeah, because while they actually do it. Yeah,
1: you're talking about a scare threat versus a real threat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. So and the last point I want to make on all this is. I have been going to, because of the elections out here, I've been going to quite a few M&A events. And I have seen and met a lot of amazing Métis people, card-carrying Métis Nation members, um, people that pass probably pass Pauli and all their paperwork is good and whatever the new requirements are. They all have their cards. They're all voting.
1: Not like you and me,
0: pretending. Not like me and you. And yet, I almost every event I go to, I hear people say, hey, so are we going to welcome our Eastern family back to the table? Is that what you mean when you say Métis organizations need to be inclusive? Um, we have a candidate out here running for president of Alberta saying we need to be inclusive, blah, blah, blah. Does that mean Eastern? We we have all these candidates talking about how, well, in Calgary there's 20,000 Métis, but we're only getting 20 to ever come to events. Yeah, but out of that 20,000, are you including all? Because that's a lot of Eastern Métis. And these are the questions that are starting to come up from their own members. Um, And so I I think it's very problematic when your members recognize Eastern Métis, but you as an organization don't. And uh, that, I guess, would be a question for another episode maybe, is if they get provincial jurisdiction somehow, and the MNC is irrelevant now, does that mean Eastern organizations get that same, or Eastern Métis get that same level? Well, Does well, it open the door for that? Maybe I don't know. Yeah,
1: I think. Well, there's, there's, yeah, there's huge problems with that because Quebec is its own interesting kind of worms. Mm-hmm. I think there's yeah. the MNC is squashing a lot of uh, Métis rights and uh, the furtherment of Métis land claims in Ontario. The MNC is directly opposing that, yep. um, which is, you know, yeah. But the, the whole, <laughs> the whole other show. The, there. the whole thing is, is that's that's the problem that we're seeing is this quiet revolution. Um, and whether they want to admit this at the tops in their ivory towers and their big buckskin meetings <laughs> is the fact that when you're on the ground and you go to the communities, the people at the community levels are slowly waking up to the fact mm-hmm. of what Métis nationalism is. Yes. And who the Métis people truly are. Yep. You know, from coast to coast to coast.
0: Absolutely. And I
1: think, you know, my hope is through our podcast and through you know, going to these meetings and being able to get the message out there that, uh, we can have an impact before too many of these, uh, white man papers are signed.
0: Absolutely. There was a funny story when I was at one of these events, they were talking about harvesting rights and stuff. And of course, uh, you know, the one person running for, uh, president he was Ron, I'll just say Ron, he was promising to, uh, to go to First Nations and actually talk to them and make an accord with them and, you know, build start building a relationship maybe even with the Blackfoot Nation and stuff like that. Which I thought was all really positive, but I thought it was funny I was talking to a few Metis at my table and they were talking about harvesting rights. And I said, Yeah, no, the funny thing is is my daughter, if she was sixteen years old, she would qualify to become part of the Metis Northwest Territories Metis Nation, which is not affiliated with the MNC, but she'd have more hunting rights than anybody in Alberta because mm-hmm. she, she could then go hunt in a national park, and nobody in Alberta's got that right now. And the looks on their face is like, what? I'm like, yeah, if she was 16, she'd have more hunting rights than you do. And I think that's a sad commentary on 90 years of this nation being fighting for its people. Yet the Northwest Territories seemed to be able to do it faster.
1: <laughs> well, for me, what and- <laughs> what was really shocking out of that wasn't the speed of anything that happened, was that how blind and deaf most Métis people are to anybody outside of our little jurisdiction. Everybody yes. seems yeah. very confined, yeah. very misinformed about the greater Métis. If we're really a Métis people, we need to start, like you said, expanding our view. What is our brethren in the Northwest Territories up against? What are their successes? Yeah. And then why aren't we being able to dovetail in on some of these conversations? Mm-hmm. We become very fragmented, very segmented, and very limited in scope of what it means to be Métis. And I think the tide is only just beginning to turn.
0: Absolutely. But I think it is a good sign, and I I took it as a good sign to see so many Métis people asking these questions. Um, I'm very encouraged by what I hear people talking about. It's just a matter of now getting that into action. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's encouraging to hear people out here, and and I think for anybody in the East who's listening, I think it would probably be eye-opening and shocking a bit to find out that you do have allies in the in the West, and they are speaking up at meetings saying, can we get our Eastern family back to this table? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was almost ex- word for word what one of the guys said, and he was very adamant about it. He was very animated. So it, I take it as a good sign. Um, I know you got to take off, Jason. We're almost uh, time anyway, but uh, it's been another uh, interesting chat. I, I don't know. I'd like to vent. I love it's this.
1: it's good, but you know we we talk about this lots off air. You know we started this podcast, <laughs> and we're wondering, wow, what would we talk about? And uh, the rates at which the news writes itself, absolutely, and, uh, is amazing. And hopefully, people are still tuning in and, and enjoying the show.
0: Well, and and we talk for endless hours about this off air. So I mean, it, it just it never ends for us. But
1: yeah, it's just a snidbit. The one you, you get the highlight clips of <laughs> yeah. what what goes on you yeah. get
0: the edited version no, <laughs> the, the one hour <laughs> condensed yeah. but uh you know i really do love it i uh, i thoroughly enjoy it so and i hope everybody listening enjoys it and if you do make sure you get over to patreon and pledge because there's a couple spots left for that draw it's only five bucks a month so do that um and and you got any final thoughts
1: no nope. and I mean every dollar goes to help us out you know we got music equipment soundboard equipment it takes time to do all these kinds of things yeah you know darcy does quite a bit of traveling so every dollar helps
0: absolutely and i will be going to victoria in a couple weeks and hopefully getting some some interesting guests for the show while i'm there so i'm looking forward to that but uh, i guess until next week that's it guys i hope you guys have a great week and till then the jig is up
2: you are the spark that's starting a fire that
0: will spread across this land I don't be a fire that doesn't burn but a fire cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now